0: Welcome to CAE Pilot Podcast, a podcast that brings together aviation professionals to discuss life as a pilot, training, and career advice. You can find us at cae.com forward slash caepilot dash podcast, or subscribe to our show on your audio podcasting platform of choice. You can also find our video podcast on our YouTube channel. Welcome to this episode of the CAE Pilot Podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to be talking to someone who is a real trailblazer. In aviation. She is the very first African American female pilot in the US Air Force. And today she is an airline pilot. I am so happy to welcome Teresa Claiborne to the podcast. Hi, Teresa. How's it going?
1: It's going great, Patrick. And uh, I just want to thank you all for having me. This hey, is listen. Uh, my honor.
0: We are, I got to tell you this right off the bat you are the first pilot we have interviewed. Who has showed up in uniform so we tip our hat to you for that one
1: well you know I, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that a lot of times people go nah she she nah she's not a pilot so I, I put my uniform yes I am a pilot and I try to watch my language so that my company isn't uh thinking oh my gosh
0: <laughs> well you certainly look the part especially with that uh That nice background as well. It really makes you look like you're in the aircraft. And before we get into the discussion, we'd like to ask a question. So here it is. What's your favorite memory to date in your aviation career?
1: I would have to say my favorite memory is my mother pinning on my wings in the Air Force. So those were those coveted silver wings. And that was after a year of the most grueling training, Um, the hardest really, I could look back now and say that of of everything that I've ever done in my life, that was probably my hardest year. And so when my mother pinned on my wings and I was a military aviator, that was probably the best time of my life.
0: And I imagine that she was, what's the word, over... She just, the the pride must have been incredible.
1: Yes. I always call it, she was uber proud.
0: Yeah, there you go. Um, Now, of course, we said that you were the first um, African-American female pilot in the U.S. Air Force, but tell us how, what that journey to getting there was like. How did you get into flying? Where did that passion come from?
1: Well, you know what? I didn't, I did not grow up wanting to be a pilot. I didn't. Uh, I remember always laughing at my brother who had uh, those books, Janes, and it had all the military aircraft in it. And he was just like, uh, mesmerized. And that just wasn't my interest. You know, I'd gone through the normal things that girls think about what they want to be when they grow up. Um, You know, so I went from teacher and then I figured, Oh, I'm not really smart enough. Then I went to, I think I want to be a nurse and, then when I found out that girls could be doctors, it was like, well, why would I want to be a nurse if I could be a doctor? And then when I got to the eighth grade and I was too afraid to dissect the frog, it was like, well, you can't be a doctor. So for a long time, I just didn't know what I was going to be. Uh, I went off to college and my major was media communications <laughs> with a journalism minor. And I got an opportunity, well, I decided in that time frame that we had moved to California and we'd just been there too long. And I felt like I want to move around again. And my father had been in the military. So I had bounced around my entire, you know, young life. And so I decided oh, i go in the military and went down to uh, UC Berkeley and joined the ROTC. And the first order of business, because I had, was already a junior, was to go to a training camp, a six-week training camp. And when we went there, they gave us a ride on a T-37. And that was all she wrote. It's like, I've got to do this. This is amazing. Little did I know that at the time, they were only allowing 10 women a year to go to pilot training. Uh, so I got back and they said, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "I want to be a pilot, of course. Who wouldn't want to be a pilot?" And they said, "Uh, they've already given out the 10 slots, so I said, "Okay well, I'll be a public affairs officer." And then halfway through that junior year, they said, "You know what? The women are washing out at the same rate as the guys. So we're going to increase the allotment to 30. Any woman who you think might be interested, they need to go and take the flight physical and take all the additional testing. And we're going to have a board meet on it. And voila, I got selected. So right place, right time. It's, I never looked back.
0: That's an amazing story. You're one of the first I think we've heard from who didn't dream of flying from Quite a young age. Oftentimes, we hear, "Oh, I lived by the airport. I saw the airplanes landing," all these kind of things. So it's an interesting um, it's a it's an interesting uh, path that you've you've uh, you've taken. Um, what strikes me right away, of course, is that if there was only ten women on the course, and of course, then you, you mentioned that they increased it to thirty. What was it like being one of the only women in that course?
1: You know, it was difficult. It was difficult, and. It was funny because initially they'd given me uh, a class date to go to Oklahoma and uh, Enid, Oklahoma, as a matter of fact. And then they called back later and said, how would you uh, like to go to Texas instead? So I asked my father, well, do I really want, do I want to go to Texas or do I want to go to Oklahoma? He goes, you want to go to Texas. And the thing they gave me was, listen, we're going to have, it was an earlier class in the year. They said, we're going to have a class of seven women. And we think that you, you all could probably help each other out, you know, just by having someone there that looks like you instead of being the only one. And our classes back then were 70 people. They split um, us up into two sections. So there's 35 people in each section. So to have, you know, these seven women uh, was a good thing to be able to at least look across the room and see someone that looked like you.
0: And, and how did the men react to you?
1: Um, you know, the men, some of the men were okay. Uh, half of my class was academy. They weren't very nice. Uh, part of that seven woman cadre were from the academy, so they all knew them. But the rest of us, we were kind of like fish out of water. And if you've ever talked to anyone who went to the United States Air Force Academy, uh, they probably say the same thing. They, they joke a lot. They all know each other. They have this camaraderie mm-hmm. and you're kind of an outsider. So, you know, as an outsider but I wasn't there to be their friend. I was there to learn how to fly an airplane. So I, I you know, I had to learn to defend myself. I know my, my mother jokes about the fact that, she said, I sent my baby off to pilot training and she came back talking like a sailor. <laughs> <laughs> that was the joke, but you know, I said, mom, you know, honestly, um, you know, I had to take care of myself. And I, you know, I use choice words to tell people to leave me alone. If you have something good to say to me, don't say anything.
0: And how much did you rely on those other, I guess, six women?
1: You know, they like I said, uh, half of those women were from the academy and I didn't really know them at all. And they kind of stuck with the guys. Um, so there were a few of us that were, uh, I think there was three of us that were either ROTC or OTS. And I was pretty good friends with one of the young ladies. We had different instructors, so it's not like we hung out all the time. But, you know, we did. We would talk, um, study together a little bit, um, just kind of be that, that friendly face to look at when you're having a rough day. Um, so it was all good.
0: And did you all make it through the course?
1: Uh, no, I think about 50% uh, or about 30% washed out. I, I remember for sure that there was, I think it was only four of us that made it. Yeah. Wow.
0: And um, crazy question: Did you ever become an insider? Did you manage to sort of, or was it something that wasn't possible?
1: You know what? I think for the most part, you know, we were separated out, and there I had two other uh, seatmates, guys that sat at the same table with our primary instructor, and we got along okay. One was an academy guy. And then the other guy was actually ended up being the number one stick in the class. So we, I used to laugh, you know, I was kind of out of the three of us, I was the problem child. I was the one having the hardest time, um, which, which, you know, I'm not proud of that, but you know, when I came to pilot training, I had 10 hours of flight and I was thrust right into a jet. So I just worked my tail off and they were pretty supportive. Didn't mean that everybody in the class was supportive. Uh, if you failed a ride, it wasn't good because you got like a sticker on, by your name. Um, but, you know, that's just something you deal with. You just keep on pressing.
0: And so in, after you get out of your training and you mentioned your mom sort of pins the, uh, the wings on you, now you jump into the flight deck of what aircraft?
1: I went to the KC-135.
0: Which is a 707, basically, if I'm not mistaken.
1: 707, Strato tanker, sure.
0: And what was that experience like? Now you're out there flying, you know, with, uh, I don't know, I don't know exactly how it works uh, vis a vis airlines, but you're flying with a lot more men and all these men are seeing women for the first time, I'm assuming. So what was that like?
1: Right. I, I, you know, I try to think back on how many women were in our squadron and we didn't have that many. We definitely didn't have any black women because it took at least eight months for another black woman to graduate from pilot training. Wow. So yeah, I was kind of a one and only. Um, You know what, you just, I'm almost used to being the one. It's just the way it's always been. Even growing up in the military, in my classrooms, a lot of times I was the only black student or one of a few. So you you just get used to it.
0: Hmm. And you're clearly a very strong person too. You have sort of the personality. How much did that play into your ability to just take the situation and go with it?
1: Um, I think that's what got me through. You, you You really can't be timid. I don't really know any pilots who are timid necessarily. I mean, there may be some who are quiet. Uh, But but not timid. And you you know, you have to learn to speak up for yourself. Yeah. So I was that way ever since I was a little kid. You know, they say your personality by age of two, people know what kind of person you're going to be. And I was definitely a take charge kind of girl.
0: And and like I've known you for, what, 10 minutes now. And that's clear. Right. (laughs) Clearly that you would have done great as the public affairs officer, too, I must tell you. So it Thank was, you, uh, you were going to do well no matter what. Thank you. How long, what other challenges did you face in the military? I mean, there must've been, uh, there must've been other things that, that came as a challenge.
1: Um, you know, being a pilot, you're in like this, I don't want to call it an elite group, but you kind of are. I mean, that's what the mission's all about. Right. The airports, right? You're fly and fight. So, you know, the spotlight's kind of always there. I, I, you know, I did okay. I mean, I, it wasn't always great. I know, you know, I had times where, you know, I, you know, you talked about, laughed about the uniform. One of my funniest memories, and I might be getting ahead of myself and you, but one of my funniest funniest, uh, memories was going to base operations and planning for a mission, which was a flight. Um, refueling a B-52. So B-52 crews are huge, eight folks on those airplanes and we're a crew of four. So we're standing around the table and we're doing all of our paperwork and the B-52 crew comes in and the aircraft commander, captain basically starts talking to my co-pilot, which is basically my first officer and starts briefing on how he'd like to do the refueling. And I just kept my head down and kept working on the paperwork. And after he was done, my co-pilot looks at him and then looks at me and says, "Um, you might want to brief the ACE on how you want to conduct the refueling. And it was funny, but it was par for the course. So, you know, people get to know you, you know, it's not about embarrassing anybody, but You know, I've in that 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 carried over into United. I've had I had many situations where guys would come in and start briefing someone else who wasn't necessarily running the show. And I just have them brief it again. And that's, you know, you got to that's how you have to learn.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. I'm pretty sure that's a mistake that these people only make once because they'll never make that mistake again.
1: With me. However, you know, I've talked to other women pilots and they have some of the same situations not just me. It's, it's just uh, sometimes just being a woman, but uh, the people at my base now at Dulles, uh, you know, that's where I've been. Yeah. Uh, they recognize me. So it's, it's all good now.
0: And, you know, being the first at anything comes with, I guess, a certain responsibility. Um, did you feel that responsibility towards maybe the next generation or to show that you uh that, that you were doing this on behalf of more than yourself perhaps?
1: Without a doubt. You know, I look at the situation and I'm very thankful that I did not know until about a month before I graduated from pilot training that I was the first. I think that the pressure might have been too much to bear. I, I remember when I went to pilot training, I had when I was in college, I had worked at a department store. Um It was a store called Liberty House, kind of a posh little store. And when they gave me my going away party, I remember the store manager said, and I worked in the children's department, and the store manager said, you know, Teresa, if it doesn't work out, you can come back. And that was like a hard swallow. So all through pilot training, I thought, you're not going back to Liberty House, so you better buckle up. (laughs) And yeah, yeah. And so... Yeah, I just I just knew that I had to accomplish what I came for. Failure's not an option for me. I generally don't give up. I'm one of those kind of people that generally, if it's something that I can't master, I just don't choose to do it. Like, you won't see me bowling.
0: <laughs> does that I mean you're? Bowl. Does that mean you're a perfectionist?
1: <laughs> I try to be. You know, I've had people say they didn't call me perfectionist. Say, "Oh, well, you're anal, huh?"
0: <laughs> well, listen. If there's one group of people that I am very happy they are anal, it's pilots.
1: Right. right.
0: Checklists and all that, beautiful. Right. Uh, (laughs) How long did you stay in the military?
1: Um, I did 20 years. I did did seven years active duty, which is what was expected of me and uh, what I had signed up for, what I took the oath for. And I went, I didn't even have a day in between. And I went straight to the reserves and finished up in the reserves with my 20 years.
0: Wow. And you were flying that entire
1: time. I was, which was actually a mistake because if you're going to make rank, you need to get off the flight deck. You know, you just you need to go get a staff job. And but I that mean, didn't want to do that.
0: It means you have to give up what you love doing. Right. That's uh, that's not always easy. It's but, not. But then you uh, were able to continue what you loved. And I, how much time did it take before you ended up? in the flight deck of a commercial aircraft?
1: Not that long. You know, um, it's something that I'm not ashamed of, but when I was leaving active duty, people were aware of the fact that I was leaving active duty. And so um, the airlines, you know, everybody wanted their black female. Mm -hmm. Let's make it, you know, it's about the numbers and I had proven myself in the military so they you know, they knew what they would be getting. And, you know, I stalled, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it or not. And I actually had a few interviews, one that one in particular didn't go so well. Um, But I, I, what I preferred to say, oh, that was my practice interview. And I actually went to American Airlines for an interview. um, And I got there, went there first, I believe it was, or, yeah, because In the reserves, we did our simulator training in Dallas, where their training center is. And so it was a retired American Airlines guy that taught us our sims, our simulator training. And when I went there to hand the lady my paperwork, you know, my bio and and resume and all that, she looked at it and she goes, oh my gosh, you're not five foot four. And I said, no, I'm not five foot four because you can't be five foot four. And I go, no, no, I can't be five foot four. I'm not five foot four. She goes, well, we have a height requirement. I said, I I don't know what to say. She goes, but you fly a KC-135, which is a 707. I go, right. So she sent me down to the simulator. She called the training department. She said, look, I got this lady's resume and stuff and her application. And, you know, she we want to hire, we would love to hire her. She's proven, but she's too short. So give her a reach test and then give me write up how she does in the simulator and let's just say I flew my behind off and of course when I did the reach test well I've been flying flying that airplane you know for eight years I didn't have a problem touching anything so they changed the height requirement
0: that's amazing yeah it always struck me when I was uh when I was flight time we had exactly the same problem we would stop people who could reach the emergency equipment despite not being and we actually had to uh, implement the reach test for everybody yeah. because it was, uh, it was more fair, right? Right. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting that I didn't realize the pilots had a re- height requirement.
1: You know, I don't know what it says now. Uh, I know that American had that height requirement. I'm not sure. I don't think United had it. I'm not positive. Uh, but uh, I know Delta had it back then too. Mm. I don't think it, they have it anymore. I think it says something more like hike commensurate with operations of control, which makes sense. Of course.
0: So did you go to, um, what aircraft did you fly right off the bat when you got into the airlines?
1: Uh, First assignment was a 727 flight engineer.
0: And that aircraft would have been similar, I guess, to the 707 in some ways.
1: Um, Well, you know, it was a three-holer. you know?
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it was, a, it was way different. And then I was a flight engineer, so I wasn't at the controls. Right. I was sitting side saddle. Um, it kind of, we kind of laugh. It's like, who, who, who we didn't, you didn't care though, because you were still considered an airline pilot. Um, but I sat there for about a year and then I flew the 737.
0: And you, you mentioned it before, you sort of fit many buckets in terms of of uh, diversity, if we will, right? So, right. you know, what is it? Like, I think it's less than 4% of women today are airline pilots. And I read in your bio that 1% of those, uh, well, 1% are African American. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's.
1: Oh, that's well, a- you know, we, we a lot of times say it's less than a half of a 1% are Black women. For instance, at United, We have about 12,000 pilots, 900 of those pilots approximately are women. And there are 15 of us, 15 black women, um, two of us black women captains. So we're still a very small percentage.
0: So that makes you unique within the airline, you know? So what's, what's your, what was the reception to, you know, in, your, in the first years of you showing up, I remember seeing women pilots that we was telling you before, you know, we were surprised when we saw a woman pilot, but here you are now filling sort of these two different brackets. And as you say, like a half percent of the right. population is doing it. What was your reception once you got into the airline?
1: You know what? When I first arrived at United, I was, it was even a smaller number. I was number two. Uh, and I will never forget after I'd done my training at the training center, and I'm going out to fly the airplane uh, and get my what they call initial operating experience with a an uh, an instructor, an engineer instructor engineer, and I'll never forget loading up on the bus. To, first of all, the captain didn't really have you know. I remember showing up and saying hi to everybody. You know, I was just so excited. I have my uniform on really for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so excited. I'm so proud to be at United Airlines. And um, he didn't really say anything to me. Uh, The instructor pretty much took part in the briefing as the engineer, even though I was going to be at the controls under his watchful eye, of course. He didn't really say much. When we got down to the bus, I remember, I sat down and I remember overhearing the conversation. And my instructor turns to the captain. So I'm not sure exactly what the captain said, but my instructor said to the captain, "Oh, she's okay. She was military." So you know, I, I can only imagine. Uh, besides the fact that I was a woman, uh, I'm sure that it was a big deal that I was. I, I don't know. I was. I didn't hear all of that. All of what the captain said, but it's kind of hard to look at a woman and not see black woman, right? I mean.
0: Well, you are who you are.
1: I am who I am. And that was a time when people were and still do. There's there's still consternation on the flight deck. Sometimes you can you can see it. People maybe think that you don't deserve to be there, even though I've been around long enough that for the most part, people know who I am and I don't have those issues. So it's a good thing. I, I hate to have to explain myself. But in the early days, I did have to give my credit people where, well, where'd you come from? You know, thinking that affirmative action, I, you know, I got there just because of fr- it. So, OK, yeah, you, they're going to let me fly a multimillion dollar airplane just because I'm a black woman. Come on, give me a break.
0: But I imagine your military experience, because, uh, you know, the vast majority of airline pilots when you would have joined would have been military pilots prior, right? Or a lot of them would have been.
1: Uh, actually, you know, United, one of the things that I loved about United was that our, pilot force was was pretty even with civilian Boy. and military pilots um i believe probably maybe the majority of women were military but i'm not sure um no probably not because you remember i told you i was kind of at the beginning of the whole military
0: that's true yeah right
1: the whole military push so you know they you know it it, it was uh it was different
0: but, but i because of the, what i was thinking is this is that how much did your military experience give you gravitas or, you know, your military experience must have helped yes. much in the same way that this conversation with this pilot, but it must have helped you along the way to, to prove that you were someone, you were a, a quality person.
1: Right. It honestly, the fact that the one individual said to the captain, don't worry about it. She's okay. She's military. Yes. It, it came with, like you said, some gravitons. It just came with that. I mean, it meant that I had gone through a very um, st- structured learning process right. and that I had flown for at least seven years. And, you know, then guys would quiz me. Well, what did you fly? KC-135. Well, that's a heavy jet, four engines. Uh, you know, if they looked at me funny, I'd say, you know, that's a 707, right? <laughs> and, you know, so... It didn't take really long, and then i was I was based in san francisco and you know it, it it was okay. there were people I could tell that just weren't that happy and i I'd flown with guys who refused to talk to me that's that was strictly on them that was their problem uh and I just generally don't i try not to make waves on that uh I remember specifically one flight we flew to Narita, and the captain uh Did not speak to me, spoke to the International Relief Pilot. And this is when I was on the Mm 747-400. Chatted with her the entire time. So I said, well, I know it's not a woman thing. It's got to be something else. So we get there and we get to Narita, drive drive in to the hotel. We get there and he still doesn't really say anything to me. We did the checklist and all, you know, we did what we had to do. We did the job. And then after we check in at the hotel, he turns to her and he says, hey, would you want to go to dinner? And she's like, nah. And so he walks away and she looks at me and says, hey, where do you want to go eat? <laughs> um, well, she departed the flight that we, we laid over for our 24 mm-hmm. hours. And the next day I had another relief pilot come along and he was a big guy. And so we get in the van and all the way to the airport, the captain's chatting him up, doesn't say a word to me. We get to the airport and the guy looks at me, and goes, what's his problem? I said, you know what his problem is. He goes, yeah, that's what I thought. Hmm. I said, whatever. We're just going to do the checklists. We're going to fly a safe airplane. That's his issue. It's not my issue.
0: And what's funny about what you're saying is that sometimes silence says everything about someone. Of course. It's, uh, of course. it's an interesting uh, perspective. Um, I'm just looking at your, what, what aircraft do you fly now?
1: Well, I'm... Headed to Denver to train on the 787. So that's a 787 behind me.
0: So you've done every aircraft in the Boeing fleet. 707, 20, 737, 57, 67, 47. That's everything.
1: Well, no, there's the triple. And I did not fly the triple. 7, yeah, okay. Right, right, right. Wow,
0: that's amazing.
1: Well, I'm excited. Uh, You know, I had the choice between the triple and the 7.8, and uh, you know, since I'm rapidly approaching that retirement age, I had a guy, you know, hunch me and say, you know, Teresa, that 7.87 is real quiet. And I said, yeah, I want to leave with my hearing too. So, <laughs> um, and not, not to mention the fact that, and, and it's a big airplane, especially the large one, uh, yeah. but we, we laughed and we used to, uh, when I was on the 7.47, we used to call the triple, the light twin. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, there was just something about, I don't want to fly the triple. I want to fly the 7-8. Yeah, I mean, and it's uh, when I, the 747s to me are the most beautiful aircraft out there. I mean, there's nothing prettier than that airplane. It is. And uh, as they leave, it's actually kind of sad because the 777 was there to replace it, but it just doesn't, right? Like, it's, it's a it beautiful is. airplane in its own right, but it's not a
1: 747. No.
0: Because people
1: love the 747, passengers. Oh,
0: absolutely.
1: What well, was not to love about it? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, that was a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, I can imagine.
0: Well, listen, um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I, before we end, though, I wanted to ask you one thing. What is your uh, advice? What would you say to someone who, you know, a young black girl today who might be watching this realizing for the first time that, you know, someone like me, and you know, we had Kamala Harris come into, to power and, you know, to as VP, right. And there's a Montreal connection. She went to high school here. So we're all very proud here too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they kept on saying that now, you know, forevermore little girls see themselves know today that they can do something they didn't know they could do yesterday. Yes. Um, So what would you say to the little girl looking at you and she sees herself in your reflection and, you know, she realizes she can become a pilot?
1: I say just that. I look like you, right? If this is what you want to do, study hard and you can do whatever you want to do. I, I, you know, I say it all the time. Mm -hmm. I say it all the time. I make a habit of stopping actually with anyone who looks like they are interested and want to talk, uh, young people to me, that they're, they're, they're our future. And if they're not in their phones, right? And they're looking at you, then you, you speak to them and right. you find out who they are and what they're about. I mean, it's not so much friendly these days because of what's going on with COVID, but I want every person to realize their dream and make it a goal and make it happen.
0: And I think that that's the uh, perfect message to end on. Teresa, okay. thank you so, so much for uh, joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. And um, in the next podcast, we're actually going to talk to you about an organization you have founded for, um, for Black female pilots.
1: Well, you know, I have to say, a little disclaimer here, I was not actually the founder. Two other young ladies started it. I was the third phone call, though. would you be interested in doing this? And I'm like, certainly. And so, yes, I'd love to talk about sisters of the skies,
0: sisters of the skies. That's our next podcast. We'll see you next
1: time. Okay. Thanks, Patrick.
0: Thank you. CAE pilot podcast is brought to you by CAE, the global leader in training for the civil aviation defense and security and healthcare markets. For more information, check out CAE.com.